also, what are we talking about, dude? I'll I'll guide you through it step right. at a time. You just All have right. to be on your feet, ready to not. I tell actually am on my feet, right. dude. Why are you on your feet? You can't record while you're sitting down. You seriously? I'm sitting down right now. You gotta, you know, you just like you can't sing while you're sitting down. You can't talk while you're sitting I, down, dude. You well, gotta have the diaphragm, bud. Do you hear that? Are you farting? <laughs> no, that's my desk. <laughs> I'm standing up. There we go. I'm joining you. Does my diaphragm Ooh. sound better? Do I sound deeper? Do I sound more <laughs> alluring? <laughs> You're right. That is better, Hardy. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a shift. It might. If you're not used to it, maybe it's not a good idea. Oh, here goes. Ready? Right. Welcome to Elmtown, episode fifteen. Today we will be doing a spotlight on Hardy Jones, but more on that in just a minute. First, we want to introduce our sponsors, Humble Spark, which is a development consultancy based in Chicago, and they specialize in web and front end. They provide practical experience and expertise in front-end development using modern tools, frameworks, and languages, including Elm, which happens to be modern, a tool, and a framework, and a language. So that's all. They hit all of them there. And they, they support the Elm community through investing time in open-source contributions, screencasts, and other learning materials. Sponsor number two is Day One, which is the company I work for. It's a beautiful journaling and life archiving app that I love for Mac and iOS, but we're working on Android right now. we got some other exciting features coming down the pipe. I'm working on the web client, and it makes heavy, heavy use of Elm, and we're getting, we're getting some fun stuff going on there. I'm excited to be building it and to be using it. So keep your, keep your eye out for web and for Android coming your way soon. And if you haven't tried it on iOS or Mac, please go, go take a look because it's a great way to keep track of yourself and your, your loved ones and your life. And, you know, I've been using it like a work journal, too, keeping track of things, notes from stuff that I've learned at work, trying trying to remember how to solve bugs in the future once I've solved them once. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you run into a bug and then you run into it again and you're like, oh, I did something to fix this, but I have no idea what it was. Day one can help with that, too. Daily Drip, a training service that makes keeping up to date on programming skills easy. Daily Drip provides small but powerful lessons to level you up in a number of topics, including Elm, Elixir, or CSS and HTML. After signing up every weekday, you'll get a short video, about five minutes of reading delivered to your inbox. Sign up using the coupon code ELMTOWN and you'll save $9 on your first month, plus you'll show support for our podcast. If you like us and you like Elm, Daily Drip's a great place to go. Sign up with our coupon code, support us, support Elm, support you, support yourself as a developer. Futurist is our last but not least sponsor, the newest sponsor. It's a new breed of innovation consultancy with digital values at its core. They believe in happy people, happy customers, and happy users, which is great to have that happy tri trifecta is a word I don't know the definition of, but I'm hoping it fits in here. They're the, they are users of Elm, uh, community contributors and innovators in the open source space. They hire good people and they do good work. So please keep your eye on Futurist. We love them too. Anyway, here we are, Hardy. Hi. Hi, Hardy Jones. So, Hardy, who are you, and what, does anyone know you, and why should they or should they not? <laughs> I know who you are, but I want other people to know. Sure. So, I'm Hardy Jones. I work at No Red Ink. Uh, I've worked at other places in the past as well. Um, I've good. done a little bit in the Elm community. I've done a whole lot in the PureScript community. I've worked on JavaScript stuff. I've done uh, stuff in Fantasyland. Um, I've done other things as well. <laughs> Fantasyland is pretty cool, and I think there are probably a lot of listeners who don't know what that is, other than like 
unicorns and stuff. So maybe we should explain that too. <laughs> sure, right now or, or later. Yeah, on just take like twelve seconds and explain what Fantasyland is. All right, I'm going to count. So um, One, there's two, actually don't please don't count. Okay. <laughs> so the idea is that there are certain repeatable patterns that show up a lot in programming, and um, we want to sort of capture those in a uh, rigorous way and like tell people how, or, or like show like one approach to solving that problem and like saying if you have a thing that always does that always looks like this and always does this no matter what the underlying data looks like then you can call it a foo and then just like implement this one method and like everybody knows how to use a foo now that sounds like an abstraction to me yeah wow <laughs> so how does that relate to fantasy land uh, I mean, the name, I'm not sure. Well, I am sure, but I don't think we should talk about it. But, like, okay. it's just a name. It's, it's just a name. No. So what you've done is this is a collection of basically functional patterns and standards for JavaScript, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and to be clear, I'm not the one that's done most of the work here. A lot of the community has done the work. Um, but you have it's, it's a pretty open community, I think. We try to invite more people to come and join and, and learn and, and suggest new ideas, which but seems to happen pretty regularly. There are libraries like... Um, like Rambda folk- and Sanctuary, Folktale. Yeah, yeah. And, and they'll have badges that say, like, I implement the Fantasyland spec, and then you know how to use the library because you know the spec. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I've, I have found it difficult to use still. I think I feel like it's still probably in... In early ages of development, where it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you, you it, it's a little bit lot. rough. It could use some some help, and I think we get the most help from people that don't really like that aren't entrenched in like all of these ideas, because yeah. you know you come at it with a different perspective, which is like, I just want to use it, and like it's hard to use, so I'm gonna suggest this improvement, which I think is like really great. Maybe I should have helped instead of just bailing. <laughs> I'm not saying that explicitly, but you know. Oh, okay. Uh, I actually, I think the most difficulty I've had is that I'm I have relatively somewhat committed to TypeScript on the JavaScript side at this point, and it's uh, as far as I understand impossible to represent some of the specs from Fantasyland in TypeScript because of the type system. That's interesting you know that you say that. So uh, one of the things that changed recently was changing the way that apply works. Okay. And like flipping around the arguments, yeah, and the, the intent was to support languages like TypeScript and Flow, so that you could actually oh, use it there. So that's why they did it. Yeah, because that's where right then was when I was trying to get in to start to use the Fantasyland stuff, uh-huh. and I was trying to do apply, and it was backwards, and I was like, "What? What? Why is it? What? This is <laughs> the stupidest thing." It was all for you, Murphy. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that it was for me. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, but I feel like probably after a little bit of settling down because part of the issue is that there are huge changes in the spec and then the libraries that I was trying to use hadn't updated to support the new spec mm-hmm. so I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what to use so I feel like maybe soon it'll settle down and yeah this shouldn't be like Murphy's experience with Fantasyland show <laughs> this is Hardy show <laughs> Fantasyland's cool I maybe I'll look at it again sometime soon and be enthralled sure we'd love to have you awesome. back it's so cool um, what else? I also do a podcast with Brian Lonsdorf every week. It's a good podcast. What else can I plug? Do I have other things to plug? Let's see. You have <laughs> you have a great voice for narration. Hello. You could someone could hire you to narrate their family videos. <laughs> I think. As in, like, and here we see Roger fixing his 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, what is Roger fixing? It's a new one. You probably charge, what, $10 an hour for that? Oh, at least. Okay, that's great. I'm also available in case anyone wants that, but my voice isn't as deep or round, so <clears throat> probably you want to go with Hardy first. Yeah, the podcast is fun, Hardy. Uh, that's how I actually know about you is the Magic Read-Along podcast, which will drop a link in the show notes here. I'm going to type in Magic Read-Along. I wouldn't say it's a very structured podcast show, but it's certainly a fun one. <laughs> that's true. I think that's... I don't know if that's Brian's intent, but that's definitely my intent is to have it be less structured and more just conversational. I think that's what it is. In fact, a lot of times I feel like you press record like halfway through an extended three-week conversation, and I get about an hour of it. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. But there's some cool stuff in there. And they said, like, co-functor, monad, free, blah, like ten times. And I feel smarter. And I laughed. So that's worthwhile. That's all I want is for people to laugh. Good. That happens. That's certainly good. Okay, so that's your very lengthy and fun introduction. But what I want to know now is your inception. From the very beginning, where did you start out? And let me tell you the purpose behind this, and maybe others too, because we had a spotlight with Kevin Yank last week, and after we ended up ended the recording, Kevin was like, ah, I don't know how useful it's going to be to people. So I wanted to explain my reasoning behind this, lest people are like, why are you wasting my time with my airwaves? <laughs> Here's the deal. So I've been reading books, and I like books a lot, and I've been reading this book about, a couple books actually, about the space program in the United States in the 19... Uh, forever until now. <laughs> I, I've been listening to a lot of years of the space stuff, so not just one year. But specifically, I was listening to a biography of a spaceman named Mike Massimino. Pretty neat biography. And in that biography, he, he gets basically like knocked over again and again and again. But he's in all the right places. So he has all these opportunities to become a spaceman, which is his dream, to become an astronaut. And he takes them and he keeps getting like hitting against the wall. Uh, that's not the the right saying. He keeps hitting up against uh, walls and like getting knocked down, uh, and it seems like it should work out because he's got the opportunity. But then something stops him. And at at one point he was very close to giving up, and uh, he had just he had just failed his examination to be able to continue as a PhD student at MIT. I think it was MIT. Yeah after having already done two master's degrees at MIT in physics and robotics. So, like, this guy's no, he's no joke. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's got the stuff, but fails this examination, this rigorous examination. He's about to give up his whole dream, and then he's at uh, an internship at NASA, and he ends up talking to this uh, astronaut who was one of the original moonwalkers who had gone to MIT. And just in, like, a couple minutes of conversation, uh, the astronaut asks him, well, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a research fellow at MIT. Doesn't mention that he's, that he's uh, failed this examination and doesn't know what he's going to do now. But the, the astronaut says, oh, man, MIT kicked my butt. I, it was so hard. I almost didn't make it out of that place. And it changed everything for Mike, for the, the, astro- the pre-astronaut Mike Massim, you know, because it, start, it shifted his perspective. And he said, whoa, I'm not the only one who thinks MIT is as hard as, like, one of the hardest things that you can do. Like, I, I have a chance if, if this guy also was a moonwalker and had a very hard time, you know, passing and getting done, too. I can do this, too. And he went back, and he tried again, and he passed, and he, in fact, did become an astronaut and did really awesome stuff. So that thought right there got me going, and I thought, you know, let's talk to people in the community because, 
you never know how many listeners or me or you are going to you hardy you meaning you hardy not the royal you are going to <laughs> say something that someone else will need to hear uh because maybe someone's like in a similar experience and maybe maybe like they went to your same kindergarten and they're having a really hard time getting past the kindergarten test or something i don't know and you know maybe you're like yeah kindergarten is hard and they're like oh it's hard for me too no though i don't think we have any kindergarten age listeners that's the that's the idea in any case is if someone can hear where you came from and uh be inspired and and take some of that energy and apply it to their own lives Does that make sense murphy i i wow that was amazing <laughs> Hopefully, amazing in a good way, and not like a. Yeah, what no, are you definitely. thinking? So let me let me flip this back on you, man. So oh. you have this this way of speaking that just like made that story so like enthralling to me. <laughs> have you thought about just doing episodes where you just talk about a story, like you just recount a story? You know, I like podcasts that do that, and I've never thought of myself as being able to write something that would be interesting in that way. So oh, yeah. no, I haven't. It, dude. Well, thanks, Hardy. Maybe I'll think about that. Maybe, yeah. maybe <laughs> story hey, time with Murphy. Listeners, if you're interested in story time with Murphy, let me know on Twitter. <laughs> maybe I'll start thinking about that. Actually, one I really like that I'll pick. I wasn't going to pick this, but I'm going to pick it right now because it's awesome. Is a podcast called History of the Internet. Have you oh, heard of that? Uh, no, but that it's sounds amazing. really intriguing. It's amazing. It's been helping me learn so much awesome stuff. Whoever the author is has done an excellent job of researching, getting facts, putting together a timeline of the history of the development of the web, and then just narrating it. And I mean, for, for it, they're like broken up into chapters, and the first couple of chapters, he'll just tell the story. And then for a few episodes after that, he'll get interviews with people who were there and go through the interview process with them and, and like illustrate the stories he just told. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it sounds great, dude. So I recommend that after you listen to Magic Read Along. Thanks for the compliment, Hardy. Yeah, sure. I mean, you deserve it, bud. Mm, I think you, maybe I should write them and you should read the stories in your Hardy voice. <laughs> but first, let's start with where you were born, Hardy. Oh my gosh, you're going all the way back. Yeah. Wow. I want to know, know where you first started. Wow. This is this is real deep dive. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone this far back on the internet before. Yeah, um, only if you're comfortable, if you don't want to. You don't want to open up your life to thousands. I mean, we're gonna of have to skip some stuff in the middle parts there. But. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Like, uh, born and raised in Sacramento, California, best city in uh, California. Oh, I'll say, not nice. really. It's it's really not, but it's. It, I love it. I it's mean, home. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Sacramento, born and raised, and uh, just did, were you homeschooled? Did you go to public school? I went to public school. We had a. a so we have like a bunch of different districts here in Sacramento, and um, I went to one of the districts, and I uh, went through elementary, junior high, high school, and uh, I'm, this is where I'm skipping over stuff, so. That's good. I mean, I assumed it didn't happen that fast. <laughs> and uh, went on to, to uh, so I was a bad kid growing up, right? Like I never Jack tried to. Michael bad? Huh? Michael Jackson bad or like prison bad? <laughs> Somewhere between the two of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wouldn't do a lot of homework. I wouldn't try very hard. Uh, and, like, school just was never really interesting for me. So, like, I didn't get into college right away. So I went to uh, a community college here locally. Okay. And uh, I wasn't motivated for anything, you know. 
So the first time I went to the college, uh, like signed up for some classes, failed out of those classes, signed up for more classes, failed out of those classes. And, and like all because I just wasn't interested in doing anything. And like, it was just a waste of money, you know? I think at that point it was still like taxpayer money. So it wasn't like affecting me that bad, but like still like, that's just silly. Right. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where like I was filling out so many classes, I actually got kicked out of community college, which like, I mean, that kind of hit me in the, in the gut, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Sort of like wake up. (laughs) So, uh, so then I went and, um, decided to work for a, a little bit of time. Um, and Were became... you at all interested in programming at this point? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Not even in the slightest. I took some, some like programming classes at college, yeah. but it just wasn't interesting. It was like, oh, cool, that's kind of whatever, but I'm never going to use this. I don't care. And how old were you at this point? Uh, I don't know, early 20s. Okay. Like, like, I, like, I don't know, I guess 20, I guess, when I got 20. kicked out. Okay. And then you're like, I'm going to go work doing. Yeah. Doing like, what? I didn't know what I was doing. I think at the time I was still working at a pizza joint and had been there for a while. And, like, it was one of those places where, like, all the high school kids work there, you know, that that sort of deal. Yeah. And, like, this wasn't friends. like a story where you were working at a burrito place and then, like, monads suddenly they made sense because <laughs> you were working at a burrito place. <laughs> And then you became a programmer? No, it's nothing like that. It's okay, the exact sorry. opposite, actually. <laughs> okay. Pizza plays. All the kids work in there. No one adds. Yeah. Okay. And uh, at some point, I, I needed to get, like, an actual job and, like, work for real and, and move on from fast food stuff. Not that, like, there's anything wrong with working fast food, but, like, I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know? Five, six years of that is, like, enough for, for me. So, um... I eventually started working on cars, just sort of out of the blue. and um, Body work, engine work, uh, work? Mechanical, technical, uh, electrical, that sort of stuff. Cool. Um, and I became a Subaru technician, did that for five or six years. And, like, I actually enjoyed that. I really did enjoy that. But I would see people that were in their 50s and 60s, and they had been doing it since they were in their 20s. And 30 years of that just beats your body up you know mm, yeah I imagine so watching them come to work every day feeling like crap wasn't something I'm sorry I, can I say that is that I think that's approved for PG-13 I think crap is okay <laughs> I'll try to tone it down anyway there but um <laughs> feeling like refuse <laughs> so like I just didn't want to be in that situation in my 40s and 50s you know like there's so there's a common thread through everything that happens in my life, which is basically like I don't like to work, no matter what it is. If it's school, if it's actual work, if it's programming, I don't like it. And like, that's not saying any of that stuff is bad. It's just that I'm a lazy person, and okay. I also well lazy in the sense that I want my freedom and I want to be the one saying what I'm doing rather than like somebody else saying it. But anyway, so uh, so I didn't want to do that anymore, and I thought you know maybe I should try this school thing again. And uh, then I went back to school. This was, uh, what, I don't know, twenty end of 2010, right? So, I mean, like, also remember the time. Like, this was right after the economy was a junk and, yeah. like, just all sorts of stuff was going bad. And, yeah, like, a lot of prospects were just not there as far as, like, uh, working in certain situations, especially in, like, the automotive situation uh, industry. It was very, um, very sparse as to, like, 
where you can get a job and expect to have that job in two years, you know? Sure. Yeah. So it, it seemed like the right idea to, to get out of that industry and go into a completely different one. And you're like 25, 26 at this point? Sure. That seems reasonable. Roughly? <laughs> okay. Um, so I went back to school and I didn't know what I was doing. And I just took some classes and I was actually passing them this time. Instead, right. <laughs> instead of just failing out of them all the time. And what school is this? Community college again? or Yeah, I went back to the same community college. And then um, as I started to, to like figure out what I actually wanted, which ended up being computer science, um, I started to take more classes in more places. And uh, still in the same like com- uh, community college district. So there's okay. like four different colleges that are sister colleges or whatever you call it. I don't know what you call it. But they're all like joint together in the one district. So I would take classes mm-hmm. at whichever ones were available Makes in order sense. to like get through school a little quicker. Yeah. Um, and then at some point I transferred over to uh, UC Davis mm-hmm. and finished up my uh, computer science degree there. Um, but like while I was doing this, I like got antsy you know i want to start working want to try to figure some stuff out right so one of my buddies from uh, the community college i went to he offered me to uh, come work with him and we were doing i don't know some kind of crm thing i don't really know it's been it's been too long i don't pay attention to things that that well um so we were doing this like crm situation and uh, like wordpress or something (laughs) no unfortunately i don't think we ever had any users and we (laughs) We tanked in like three years or so, two or three years. Um, so I did that for a little while, uh, and uh, I didn't like getting paid peanuts, so I wanted something better for my life, and then went on to uh, another place, worked there for a little bit, uh, and then another place, and then now I'm at Nord Inc. So wait, that was right after school, or? Uh, during school. Okay. So, then so you graduated. The first and second place I was working while I was in school, and the last okay. two places I've been working out of school. All right, well that's great, uh, and that's that's actually really interesting. So when you got to No Red Ink, was, were they already like Elm famous, or were you doing other stuff before that? <laughs> yeah, I think they were already Elm famous. Okay. This was uh, so this was last year, um, oh, okay. April last year, March April last year. So the place you were working previous before previously, excuse me, before No Red Ink. That was where you were, had time to do a bunch of pure script contributions. Is that right? No, that's not right. <laughs> should I like? Should I start like giving more information? Is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giving more programming information. We skipped so, the stuff where like you know you like led a band of vigilantes and got imprisoned imprisoned for like yeah. I mean, I can't incriminate myself. Yeah. Statute of limitations, Murphy. Come on. <laughs> but programming. Let's hear some deets on the programming stuff. Okay, so after the CRM place. Um, I started so while I was there actually, we were doing a um, like some some th- project or something, where I was writing it in LiveScript I think, which is an wow. interesting language. Is have that, you have you heard of that? Um, no. Okay, yes, so uh, name I think, but I don't know anything about it. Sure. So it's like it's uh, it's an Alt JS language. It's sort of in in the vein of CoffeeScript. Okay. Um, but it provides like it gives you like so much more as far as like freedom to do things, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, I thought that and, like, was what JavaScript was, <laughs> like all the freedom to do things. So maybe syntactic freedom to do. things. Oh, okay. Right? okay cool. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can uh, write the same program, which seems really interesting, right? And I think in isolation it works really well. Like if you're the only person writing it, it's really great. But when you're on like a team of a lot of people, 
it's very hard. At least it was very hard for me to understand like what was happening every time I looked at some piece of code. That makes sense. So like it felt like I had to have the entire like syntax parser inside of my head whenever I would look at a live script file, which wow. is not very fun for me. Maybe sounds, it's fun for other people, but not yeah. not too much for me. It sounds like a fun toy, but a hard, like scalable tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were doing that, and then I didn't want to have that that library be written in LiveScript anymore. So I started looking around for a couple different languages that might make it a little bit easier to write this library and also be sort of interesting. Do you want to name the places where you were working, or do you want to keep those on the DL? Uh. I'll name some of them. Okay. Not because like I'm scared of anything, but just because I don't... doesn't matter. doesn't really yeah. matter. <laughs> I'm just trying to build a map of... Because you're telling me where you were, and I'm going like, is this a CRM place, or is this Norton Yank? Yeah, okay. Maybe it'll be a little bit more descriptive. So this you is still just, the CRM place. You can use fake names if you want. Get, like place A, place B, place C, just so we got something to place it with. Sure, sure. So at the first place, we're still doing the CRM stuff. Uh, we had this library, and um, I looked at different languages to, to rewrite this library. And so I looked first at Roy, I think, at the time, which okay. was, like, really great. This was uh, another Alt.js language. Everything's Alt.js in my life, apparently. I so, have heard of Roy. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, it's uh, sort of, I think it's inspired by, like, OCaml or, like, like just the ML family. Okay. Um. And uh, it was it was really fun, right? Like it was a language that like people were interested in, and there were a couple of people contributing, um, but it sort of started to die out at some point. Um, and while I was trying to rewrite this thing in there, it still needed a lot of work, like the language, because some of the ideas that you try to implement um, didn't come out really great. I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like it was usable, but like it's hard to to justify saying, "Hey, let's use Roy now," and like. And, and like have all these these like things that need to be improved in it, you know. Yeah, and um, I guess from the other side, trying to use a Roy, a, a library that was written in Roy, was a lot harder than like you would just use with like CoffeeScript or JavaScript or whatever. Sure, yeah. So, um, so I looked for more languages, and then eventually I found uh, PeerScript, which was like only a couple months old at that point. And I was like, well, that seems questionable, but let's give it a shot. <laughs> So I rewrote the the library in PureScript, and it turned out really well. And like the thing that really turned out well was that the the JavaScript that was generated. Okay, so PureScript is another Alt.js language. There's there's a theme here if you haven't caught on yes, yet. That's a good um, theme. <laughs> the 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 generated JavaScript from PureScript was something that like you could see yourself writing, and like it just looked as though somebody else had written it, and like. It didn't look like it was generated from a a compiler or whatever, which was really nice because calling it on the other side was fairly simple. And, like, trying to use the library from JavaScript was very simple. Okay, I want to pause you for a second and go back to where you said, I just wrote this in PureScript. And, like, ask if there was a two-year interlude where you learned functional programming because that's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I skipped over a lot of stuff, man. Okay, so uh, 2010, I said, I'm going to go back to school. Started going back to school. Eventually realized that I wanted to do computer science and um, started learning programming. The first, the first like, real book that I tried to learn from was um, Learn Python the Hard Way, Zed Shaw's book. Okay, yeah. And um, that sort of sprung me into the Python world as far as, like, a programmer. 
so I did that for, for like, Python was my first language, like the first thing that I ever learned. Um, and I did that for a long time and used that for a lot of the, like, learning things that I would do. And um, eventually somebody suggested Haskell to me. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I don't know what that is. Let's try it, right? All the while I've been learning, like, C and C++ and Java and, and all that other stuff, right? You had no idea what you were getting into. <laughs> so the first time I tried to learn Haskell, I tried to pick up Learn You Haskell, and that went abysmally, as it has for most people. <laughs> um, and I gave it up, and I was like, this is, I don't understand what the, the benefit is here. It's just different syntax, but it looks similar to Python, so who really cares? Well, the book is funny, so that's, that's nice. <laughs> um, and then uh, a, a while goes by, and I try to pick up Haskell again. And I think this was like after I started learning or started using LiveScript. Okay. So, um, and, and LiveScript sort of inspired by Haskell, I guess. Okay. So, like, I wanted to be like, well, why did they do it like this way in LiveScript? Maybe I'll check out Haskell. So, the second time I tried to look at it again, and I read through a couple different books. Um, Real World Haskell got like halfway through that. Uh, 48 Hours, the Scheme book, I don't, I don't remember the actual name of it. Um, got, got through that one, the whole thing, like a couple different books, right? Um, and again, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, but I just don't see the, I don't see the appeal, right? Um, and then this last time, when I, when I started to learn PureScript, uh, there was like effectively no documentation for PureScript at this time because it was only a couple months old, right? Yeah. But uh, it, it, you could still lean very heavily on Haskell as an ecosystem to like learn the concepts and use them in PureScript because it was pretty motivated by Haskell, I guess. So how did you become familiar enough with monads and type classes and some of the basic principles of PureScript that are so important to its design to be able to be, to be able to write anything in it at this point? Yeah. So the thing I did was just not think about it and just use stuff. Oh, I mean, okay. It, it seems uh, it seems weird to say that, but like when you if you are like seeking out what is a monad and like how do I write a monad? What is a, like how do I make this thing a monad? Like I want a monad, 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 monad. You're just like you're setting yourself up for for failure. I think if you instead just use functions <laughs> and like maybe that function happens to have a monad constraint on it, well, like you don't really need to know what that means, but just just use it, right? And once you've used it a couple times, then you sort of, like, at least for me, you start to see a pattern of, like, okay, I can do this because it's a monad, right? I can do this thing because it's traversable. I can do this thing because it's a functor. And then once that connection was made, it was less of, like, what is a functor? What is traversable? What is monad? And more of, like, okay, I know how to use it, right? Yeah, so that's exactly what happened with me with Elm. And mm -hmm. didn't happen with Haskell and, and PureScript initially. Uh, I wonder if it's that the lack of documentation for you maybe actually helps you to get started. Because I was like, well, let me read the docs for PureScript and read the book, and got totally lost in terms like that initially. So maybe oh, that's interesting. Maybe the fact that you could just use it because you didn't feel like you had to read stuff helped get started. Or maybe you're better at reading stuff than I am. That could be too. It's, uh, it's not terribly that. hard to be better than I am at reading stuff. Um, yeah, that's Let's, interesting. That's an interesting uh, take on it. So it maybe uh, maybe if you're going to learn one of these languages, try it without docs first, or at least, <laughs> like you said, try it. Try just doing it without feeling like you have to grok it. 
Yeah, I think that's that's actually the way, right? Because if you if you really try to understand it, and you can, it'll take you a long time, and it, there's a lot of information, right? Like if you really want to understand how type classes work, there's a bunch of papers you can read about it that that like in explicit detail tell you how they work. But that's not really like what you would do day to day anyway. Like you wouldn't need to understand how this type class works every time that you want to implement an instance of the type class. You know, right. you just yeah. need to know. I need to do this function, and I just implement it, and that's my life, and I'm done. That's a great point. So you, that's awesome that you had enough mastery over it at that point to just go ahead and write the library in pure script. Yeah. And then Which what happened? also didn't use any type classes anyway. Oh, seriously? The <laughs> yeah. library or the <laughs> language at that point? The, the library. Oh, okay. um, like, it was just, it, I think if you look at the first rewrite of that, you could just rewrite it in Element as well and do the same exact thing. Like, there was nothing special about it at that point. You know, actually, for all the code that I've written in PureScript, which has been a fair few lines, and quite a few times I've gone and said, like, oh, I'll use a type class for this or I'll make a type class for this. And then most of the time I ended up ripping it out after I had implemented it because mm-hmm. I didn't actually understand how to use it properly. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, actually... I'm just not going to use type classes here after all. Yeah. Maybe it's because I don't understand uh, at the, at this point how to properly apply the power of type classes. Or maybe I just thought I needed it more often than I did. I think the latter. Even though yeah. I don't know anything that you wrote, <laughs> I'm going to say probably the latter. It seems like a common mistake that once you once you start to learn of them, then you're like, everything's a type class. <laughs> maybe not true. Yeah. Sorry, uh, so I broke the narrative flow, you wrote this thing, and then you made millions of dollars? Is that the next step? Uh, as long as you skip everything that's happening now, then yes. <laughs> okay. We're still getting to that well, next step. Let's not skip that. Let's get to the middle part then. The part, the part before the millions of dollars. Okay, okay so, so I rewrote this thing in PureScript. And um, again, language really young. Lots of bugs still, but more usable than other things that I tried. And I got really interested in this. And, like, it, it helped me learn Haskell as well. Like, I wasn't, like, a Haskell wizard. I'm still not uh, at this point. But, like, trying to... So it was it was also, like, a really young community. So it was missing a lot of libraries, you know? Like, there were no uh, distributed functors and all that kind of stuff. Like, it was just, like, the bare minimum. You know, you had your, your simple functor hierarchy. You had, like, a couple things for... Um, doing numeric stuff and like some stuff for the DOM, right? But that was pretty much it. So uh, having this like blank slate to implement all these ideas, I think really helped me understand Haskell as a language and like the ideas of it. Even though there's like pretty fundamental differences between Haskell and PureScript, number one being laziness, but like other differences. Not your um, laziness, the laziness of the language, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Just figuring that out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, implementing a bunch of libraries is one pretty good way to learn a bunch of libraries, right? So yeah. I had the yeah. opportunity, the, the wonderful opportunity to write um, a lot of um, the ideas that are prevalent in the Haskell ecosystem in PureScript, and it helped me learn a lot of different things. So is this just for fun on your side time, or are you doing, doing this at work? Uh, at this point, it was still for fun, and then eventually... Um, uh, I ran into John DeGos, and he was trying to build up a company, and he wanted to use PureScript on the front end. And I was like, "That seems that seems crazy, but I'll give it a shot." You know? <laughs> so you you, were, you worked at Slam Data for a yeah. while. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. 
So uh, we went through a couple iterations with the first product before uh, we parted ways. And then, um, like, at that time, I was doing a lot of pure script libraries. Like, because there was just a lot of stuff missing, right? Like, there was effectively no interface for Node at all. So, like, mm-hmm. anything that you needed to do with the Node side of PureScript, uh, you had to write yourself. And there was, like, very little for the browser, right? And, like, yeah. no libraries for React or any of that stuff. So, like, a lot of that stuff I had a hand in. Um, and then just, like, general stuff as far as, like, testing and whatnot and, and just, like, a lot of stuff that you don't commonly think of when you're, like, I'm going to start using this language, but that you really want once you start using this language, you know? Yeah, the implicit ecosystem, the unsung heroes of the ecosystem. Yeah, and, all uh, the stuff nobody wants to do, but they, somebody needs to do. Yeah. Just the Batman libraries. <laughs> That's beautiful. You should have a uh, like a GitHub organization, Batman. I love it. It's the library <laughs> that everyone needs and nobody deserves. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so did that for a little while. Uh, we parted ways, and then um, this was sort of like after that happened. That was sort of like a kind of a depressing six months for me. Um, the, the after the fact. Yeah, okay. because I was looking for a new place to work, and like went through a lot of interviews, talked to a lot of people, and they all ended up the same, which was like we're going to go with somebody else, you know. Oh, and like this so happened bad. a lot, like a lot, a lot. And that's like, I mean, that's money that I spent. That's time that I spent. That's like emotional energy that I spent. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it was it was really kind of hard, you know, to to be rejected so many times. Um, but eventually, <laughs> one of my uh, college friends suggested I come work with him at this uh, new place. That was a local this time. Um, uh, doing renewable energy stuff. That's cool. Yeah, right? Really interesting ideas. And, like, really cutting edge as well. Um, and we did, like, a, all stuff in-house. So, like, everything from the hardware to the firmware to, like, building all the different um, containers and all the software, the web stuff, the back-end stuff, everything was in-house. That so it was really cool. nice to get to see, like, how all this stuff comes together. Like, from an idea to a circuit board to um, soldering everything together and like then manufacturing it, shipping it out. And like we had sales in house, marketing in house, like everybody was in house. It was really amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, but programming wise, eh. <laughs> not as exciting or no, not, just not, not as that exciting. Much to do? There, oh, there was a ton to do. The, um, the, the main thing that we worked on was like this web UI that lets you um, see all the all the different metrics of whatever device you had. So there were like a lot of different devices and they all interface to this web UI. And so that was the main thing that I was working on. Um, and it was written in plain JavaScript. And like by plain, I mean there was only one library, which was jQuery. Ah, I see. Yeah. So is it the, it wasn't so much the topic of the work that was tedious or, or uninteresting. It was that like actually doing the work was unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. Makes it sense. was. It was. Anyway, so. <laughs> 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 so one library jQuery, and then 
a lot of ad hoc situations. Um, so me being who I am, you know, I tried to push, say, hey, let's do, let's, let's start rewriting this thing in like CoffeeScript or let's rewrite it in TypeScript or let's rewrite it in this thing, like some language that we can start to have some bit of abstraction so that we don't have to like effectively flip bits all day long, right? Yeah, um, and so having your pure script experience, why didn't you push that or bring that up? So I think, I think if you if you can't uh, easily push a language like TypeScript or or even Flow, where not much changes, like the semantics don't change, but you just get something like uh, static analysis. Yeah then it's really hard to push an entirely different language where semantics change and also you have static analysis, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, I would have loved to push something like PureScript or Elm or, or um, I guess those were the only two things that were, <laughs> were out at the time. Yeah, right. But, like, one of those two languages would have been great to push and, like, actually use. But uh, I had a hard enough time just trying to get um, TypeScript in use. You know, we ended up, we had like one or two files, I think, where they were using yeah. TypeScript, but it was, it was like, it's like pulling teeth, man. Was it just the situation wasn't right for it or people were, people were reticent to change or both? Uh, mostly I think it's because I'm a bad salesman. Like I'm oh, not very okay. good at, <laughs> at suggesting a different thing. Does that and mean then, you're an honest person? No, I'm sorry. That was a joke. Wow. That, that was a joke against salespeople. You're I, stabbing out there. I love salespeople. <laughs> There are some salespeople who have given others bad rap, and I apologize. I love salespeople, and they're so important, and there are many honest ones. So yeah. I, I take back the joke. <laughs> it was meant as humor, not as actual accusation. Um, no, I just I, I if like this this whole episode that we're doing, where I'm really scattered and like all over the place. That's just how I normally talk, and like that isn't good for trying to prove a point or like trying to suggest the thing, you know, like I thought that was because of my interludes. <laughs> I thought I was scattering you. No, okay. no, you're doing good to keep me on track, bud. Oh, good, good. Okay. I'm sold. So let's do TypeScript. And what's next? So, um, I, I figured if we can't get, um, a language that'll help us statically, maybe we can get a couple libraries in there that might help us do things a little bit easier. Right. So, um, I started pulling in, some libraries here and there. Uh, Ramda was the first one. Mm. And I think that helped really good with just like removing a lot of boilerplate, right? Like a lot of the stuff that you just do all the time, you can, you can dish off to Ramda and let it do its thing. Um, and then sweet. sanctuary as well. And these are both libraries that, um, tie back to what we started off with, which is fantasy land. They both implement the family. It's fantasy land spec. Um, so they're, they're one way to get your feet wet with fantasy land stuff and see how, uh, whether it's something you're interested in and like whether it's helpful for you or if it's just not. It could just be that. Do you know if Ramda has been updated to the uh, new version of the spec yet? I don't actually know. Okay. I don't write a whole lot of JavaScript these days. Okay, good. Sorry, I completely <laughs> drew us off track. I was just curious to know. Uh, <laughs> no, that's an excellent question, though. But if you're a listener and you're checking it out, maybe just be aware that it, they could be Fantasyland could be on a whole major new version, and Ramda may not have moved to it yet. So that's confusion. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Great, great point. Um, so you brought those in, started using them. Yeah, and I think some of the people liked it. Some some people liked having uh, less work to do. Surprisingly, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I think that was a real testament for um, for for pushing something like Ramda or Sanctuary, which is that. 
we couldn't get something like a completely different language, but we could pull in this library that'll at least help us to start to see that maybe we shouldn't be doing everything ourselves in-house. And like maybe we can offload some of the work to a library. And then if I had continued working there, it might have been a little easier to say, like, look how much this library's helped. I think this language would help even more than this library has. And then we could start using something like Flow or start using something like um, TypeScript or whatever. Yeah. Also, there were no tests. Did I mention that? <laughs> <laughs> so that made every day fun. There were tests. It was called your hand and your mouse. Looking around. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so you so, stuck with that for a while? No. Um, I didn't stay there very long. Uh, at, at, uh, at this point, so this was like February last year. Um, and I went to Forward. I was actually invited to... Uh, speak on a functional programming panel with wonderful people. Uh, who was on there? There was uh, Lee Byron was there, Evan was there, Phil Freeman. Um, uh, oh, I didn't even say what these people. Because oh, I mean, that's, I assume everybody knows who Evan panel. is, right? Yeah. Um, Lee Byron did Immutable. Yep. Yeah. So he did Immutable JS. Another um, cool stuff, GraphQL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GraphQL. That was what he was talking about the whole time. And I was like, I don't know what GraphQL is. Why should this I care? Weird stuff. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, this is amazing. Um, Evan did Elm, right? And I, you know, everybody knows that. Everyone knows um, that. Phil Freeman wrote PureScript, uh, and uh, the host of the panel was Brian Lonsdorf, who has. Uh, Professor Frisbee and, and all those other things. That's and then you've got awesome like panel. me. Like I don't know why I'm up on this <laughs> stage. Like I've I've not done anything really interesting, right? But Sorry. apparently I was there. So No podcast yet. Yeah, right. No. Although actually at that point Brian and I were were discussing a different podcast that we still haven't released. <laughs> so Yeah, Maybe. our first one that we actually did recordings for but haven't released. <laughs> Is it worth listening to? Oh man, it's amazing! But we just haven't released it yet. It's for the world to be ready for it first. Sure, that's an excellent way to put it. Right. <laughs> so you already knew Brian at this point, and so you're on this panel. You're, were you pretty comfortable, or were you a little bit intimidated by the those I was names? Very intimidated, extremely intimidated. You got Lee Byron, uh, Phil yeah. Freeman, and Evan Chaplicki. <laughs> You've got all these people up there, like, and and Brian, like. How can I not be intimidated, you know? Yeah, I would be intimidated. <laughs> but, but then well, also I, I wasn't I was like really comfortable because you've got Lee Byron, you've got Evan, you've got Phil, you've got Brian, right? And they're all great people to be around. They're all really wonderful to talk to and like just just great people overall, you know? So like I don't know. Okay, so that was the end. That's <laughs> the podcast, everybody. <laughs> No, what happened next? So at Forward, I was talking to Richard, and Richard was like, come on down, apply, dude, come work, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, maybe, you know. And then uh, eventually I applied, and now I work at No Red Ink, and I've been here for a year and change. And uh, we do Elm stuff. We do Ruby stuff. We do Elixir stuff. We kind of do Haskell stuff. Oh, We've got nice. like a Haskell tool. We've got uh, a Haskell server that we need to finish. And, uh, yeah, we do all kinds of stuff, man. Like a mini Haskell, some part of your back end, or, like, we've rewritten everything in Haskell. <laughs> Just one uh, new feature that we're trying to push out of the door. Cool. Um, and it's just a server that runs and does a bunch of stuff, and, and yeah. 
So you work full-time from home, is that right? That's correct. How does that feel? Do you like that? Oh, Murphy. Versus sitting in an office, you know, having some (laughs) jaw-wiggling time with your neighbors. (laughs) So it's good and bad, right? Um, the, The goods are that, like, I don't have a commute. I don't have, like, the stress of, of going out when it's raining and, and, like, having to wear a jacket and all this stuff. I don't have to worry about, like, something weird happening on my way to the office. I don't have to worry about, like, working late because, like, how am I going to get home? Or, like, is it too cold? Or, or whatever, right? Right. Um, but there's bad, too, right? Like, the one bad is that I have to pay all these electric bills and, like, heating bills and all this stuff, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't pay uh, extra for that, I'm guessing. <laughs> another bad is that, like, I'm, I feel like I'm more um, susceptible to illness now <laughs> because, like, I yeah, don't interact with people, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like when you, when you send your kids to school and they, like, uh, they get all sick, but then, like, they stop getting sick at some point. That's a thing, right? I don't have kids. Is that a thing? Um, I think kids are always sick. <laughs> Just no, always. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know, when you interact with people, you get different uh, immunities yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so I think do. that's part of why I'm like still like a week and a half trying to get over this uh, this conference stuff. So maybe you got to go work in some co-working spaces and spread that sickness around a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that but there's also like um, like loneliness, you know. There's there's like being uh, away from other people and and being able to deal with that and like finding finding a place where you can work where that's less of a problem. I mean, it's yeah. always sort yeah. of like a lingering problem, at least for me. That like is <laughs> a thing that I think about a lot. Like uh, the other people that work remotely here at Nord Inc. Are they do they feel comfortable? Do they feel like they can talk to somebody. Are there like, like, is, is it okay? Like, do they feel all right? You know, because a lot of the people that work remotely weren't remote workers in the past yeah. or like haven't worked on a distributed team in the past. So like, that's a big shift for them as well. You know? And it's hard to read how people are doing if you can't see their faces and hear their tones yeah. of voice, Yeah. which video calls don't necessarily communicate hundred mm-hmm. percent. I would say. So that's that's pluses and or positives and negatives. Would you consider? Uh, I'm not I'm not like asking you to make a life move here, but I'm trying to get a little window into the uh, <laughs> working from home because that's probably a challenge that a number of listeners are facing, or or a, a benefit that they're enjoying. Um, but for you, would you prefer to move to the office area? I mean, assuming you don't like despise San Francisco <laughs> maybe maybe we just say San Francisco isn't isn't an element like if you take out the location specifically of where the office is would you would you want to be in the office versus being at home um well like I said there's goods and bads right and I think it really depends uh so the first place that I worked it was mostly office stuff but there was a little bit of remoting the second place I was 100% remote the third place it was 100% office so like I've had both both flavors you know and like now I'm 100% remote and like it's I don't know like it it wouldn't be a big deal to me if like there was an office in Sacramento and I had to go to the office every day but also I'm totally fine not going to the office every day you know like no you have a preference yeah exactly like this situation works and that's just because that's the situation I'm in but like if it changed then I'd uh, have to make a decision then so I'm going to bring up 
that's good. And I just dropped that topic without even recognizing <laughs> that I was dropping it. So I'm, I'm recognizing <laughs> it now, dropping that topic, moving on to uh, maybe it's an elephant in the room, maybe it's not. But um, have you, I know that there are some people when they are comparing Elm and PureScript, which I would probably recommend people don't do because they're different <laughs> tools for different uses, yes. but it's yeah. done nonetheless. And I wonder. How do you feel? Or do you feel? Do you enjoy your work when you're working with Elm, even knowing that PureScript in many ways is more abstract and maybe uh, maybe allows some other applications that you wouldn't get in Elm? Are you, are you happy doing that? So, I mean, the answer that I'm going to give you probably people aren't going to like because it's going to be a very diplomatic, wishy-washy answer, which is that like. For everybody, it depends. Like, that's the answer, right? It totally depends. It depends 100%. Well, not 100%. It depends a lot. The majority of it depends on what you're doing, right? Like like you said, they're different tools for different purposes. The 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 next important thing, I, I think, is, like, who you're working with. So, like, if nobody enjoys this language that you're using, whether that's PureScript, whether that's Elm, you probably shouldn't be using it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like that's really hard for someone to take in and like, and, and, and like internalize and, and, and think is a true statement or like a, a, a believable statement. But like, if nobody else on the team wants to use this language, it's not a success, I guess, you know, like it's, you, you, it's a team effort. You know, if you're one person, do whatever you want. doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm dodging the question. No, that's so, good. So what you're saying is that sometimes the <laughs> diplomatic answer is actually true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the diplomats aren't always making stuff up. Is that what you're... Are you being political now? <laughs> so that's what this is turning into? I don't know. For me personally, I like working with people. You know, the language matters a lot less to me. And that might just be my privilege saying that I've had the experience to work with a bunch of different languages and like experience that, but like it just isn't that big of a deal. Like if if tomorrow they said, Okay, we're done using Elm, now we're gonna use PureScript, I'd be like, All right, cool. If they also said we're done using Elm, now we're gonna use JavaScript, we'd be like, All right, cool. Like it just like it's it has changes and effects and all this stuff. But like I don't think it would change my outlook on the job that much if if we changed from using Elm to using effectively anything else. Um, so I'm joking around because I, I agree with you, and I think this is an excellent position to take uh, because I, I probably the the right way to say it is use the right tool for the job, and mm-hmm. the job also includes not just the stipulations of the product requirements or whatever, but the job involves the people, the developers that you're working with, the the way in which you're working, whether you're a startup, whether you're not. I mean, there are all these social considerations that go into it alongside the environmental considerations. Environment being, are you working on just a web app? Are you working on a bunch of code that needs to be portable, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that the right, like, I guess it's good to say use what feels right based on the context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you had an explanation for this the other day that was like, should have been gr- carved onto a stone or something. It was so great. Do you remember that? Oh, I think we were talking about, I, I appreciate that uh, statement, by the way. That makes me feel very important. But um, <laughs> I think what we were saying is like, don't try to fit stuff into Elm that doesn't 
fit into mm-hmm. Elm. Was mm-hmm. that, or was it that way, or was it the other way around? Don't try to fit Elm in places where it's not designed to go, or something like that. I think you said both of the things, and like the whole conversation was what should be carved into stone. Oh, okay, <laughs> would have been a pretty big stone. <laughs> but I, I think that stemmed from my own experimentation and seeing others saying like, "Oh, look!" Like I, I did some work. Uh, some experimentation a while back to write an express server in Elm. And I was so excited because I got it. I was like serving up requests from Elm and stuff on the server side. And then I realized like, why was I doing that? Like it doesn't, it was very awkward to, to use. And I got some type safety, but like there are, it's not a server. It's not designed to be a server. The, and as Evan has talked about, because lots of people have asked about this, when's Elm going to be general purpose? And when when's Elm going to be, on the server, and well, part of the strength of Elm is that it, it's actually designed to solve one problem, and that's front-end web apps right now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so you could use it in other places, but what you need is a solid and strong design for those places to specifically solve that problem. And there are other tools and other options that have been specifically designed to solve those problems in a beautiful way. Uh, and so I think that's what it, it stemmed from, was saying, look, just uh, understand the problem space and and then try to understand the the solutions that have already been designed for those problems and maybe maybe use what's been done before to get the best of uh, the best of the things that are freely available to all of us. Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm just multiplying words. But it's so out. beautiful, man. Thanks, Hardy. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to be your hype man, but oh my gosh, it's <laughs> great. I always appreciate hype. I the position's open if you if you want to take it. <laughs> yeah, the last one got eaten by a pack of wolves. <laughs> what? Watch out for that. <laughs> so is that the end, Hardy? Is that the end of your life up to this point? Uh, pretty much. At least the parts I'm gonna share. All right. Well, what'd you have for breakfast? Can we go? Uh, oatmeal. Me too. But I'm distraught because I didn't actually want oatmeal. <laughs> Why did you have it? Because I don't have anything else to eat for breakfast. Oh, okay. I, I made like this. Uh, so I have like the, you, you know, you go to like Smart and Final or something. You buy the, the like four pack of, of chorizo rolls, you know? I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> but go ahead. So they come in like a four pack and it's like a pound of chorizo. And like you just, you just cook it in a pan and you crack like four eggs in there and mix it all together. Mm. And then you've got like some delicious chorizo meat that you can just throw into a, a a taco shell and just eat like for breakfast you know it's a it's a very breakfasty type of situation that sounds very nice but i ran out of taco shells man and now i i, I don't want to just like stick my hand in the chorizo meat and just eat handfuls of chorizo meat that's okay, just you weird. have forks forks are a thing. <laughs> but i don't have any bread i don't have any breakfast bread so i couldn't do anything with it so i have to go oatmeal. back to the old staple of uh, oatmeal <laughs> I'm so disgusted at oatmeal, right? I had oatmeal for breakfast and lunch because my wife didn't finish hers, so I took the rest <laughs> of the oatmeal. I kind of would like something else, I'm thinking, soon, too. So maybe we'll end the podcast and I'll go eat something other than oatmeal, but it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, man, I got to have meat, man. Yeah, I have you got to have meat for breakfast. Got to get some of that protein in your bones. What uh, about, uh, what are you doing for dinner, dude? You know what? I'm very blessed to have a wife who loves cooking food. She's yeah. really good at it too. So typically what I'm eating for dinner is delicious and that's all I need to know. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's I love it. Delicious. I love it too. 
yeah, I think that I'm like I'm really glad that she she like she uses food the way I use computers. If you know, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Like, don't go into her kitchen and mess up her kitchen because that would be like coming in and like reformatting my hard drive. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because she is, yeah, that's her workspace and I respect it and I help clean it and I reap the benefits and I'm very happy. <laughs> so that's what I'm having for dinner. It's just delicious. That's so great. You, you should, any, do you tell her that on a regular basis? I try to tell her every day. Try that's to make good. sure that she knows that because I don't want that to go away. <laughs> That's a very, very valuable part of my life. It's my wife, obviously, but also the food that she makes. So I figure the more I can be uh, obvious about how much I'm enjoying it, the more I'll be able to continue enjoying it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. There you go. Life tip for friends. If your friends do things that make you happy, uh, try to make sure that they know it, I guess. Yeah. Words of, words of wisdom from Storytime with Murphy. <laughs> I'm telling you, you you're joking, but I think that'd be a good thing, dude. Well, maybe I'll think about that, Hardy. If I can find something worthwhile to say, I appreciate it. But then I'd have to like write neat stuff, or maybe I maybe I could just read books and then I'll just like record myself telling what I just read for yeah. like a half an hour. Yeah. There you go. Cliff's notes, but Murphy's notes in awesome <laughs> podcast form. <laughs> But also my memory is notoriously bad. So you would listen to it and then you'd go listen to the real thing and be like, wow, like 90% of that was completely <laughs> wrong. Well. But it'll be interesting and that's all that matters. <laughs> there you go. Some, yeah. Um, picks. Before I get this too far off, do you have any picks, Hardy? I didn't know we were supposed to do that, dude. Is that, that just cool. a thing I'm supposed to always do? Nope. Nope. There's always the opportunity to do it. And if you don't have any picks, that's cool. Because you already dropped in like 4JS Fantasyland. Yeah, sure. Here's a pick. Magic Read-Along. Listen to that. But don't listen to like the early episodes. They're decent, but like it's just getting better. And we're not telling a story here. It's not like some continuous arc for the past three years or whatever. Just listen to the last few episodes. Okay. So and like which... maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it. You don't like it, stop listening. You like it, listen to more. That's very diplomatic, too. <laughs> I would, I'd rather you just be straightforward and say, re, listen to it or else you're dumb. <laughs> That's not going like to happen, bud. Sorry. Oh, okay. It's not uh, for everybody, you know? So let's see. The forest for the tree. I'm trying to give them an episode they can go forward from. Yeah, the last that'd few. be better than me just saying, like, listen to whatever you care about. What's one you like in the last few? One I like in the last few. Uh, give me a second. Like a parent at a beauty pageant. That's the last one that we recorded this week. But oh my god, it was maybe it was because we missed one, <laughs> and we had like two weeks of built up stuff. But it just, I enjoyed recording it, and then when I was like editing it together, I enjoyed listening to it again. And I just, I really liked it as an episode. But yeah, also right. maybe that's a recency effect. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, sometimes, sometimes. Uh... The effects don't cover up falsehoods. Sometimes it's just like the effect works and you're also like, hey, yeah, that's true. It's good. So so there's your pick. Hardy's pick. Very good, Hardy. Oh, uh, I forgot that I also am going to pick ElmConf US, which is coming up in September. Yeah. End of September. I want to talk. There are a few speakers. I want to be one of them. So come for all the other speakers and then just expect to sleep through mine. That'll be fine. And that's on uh, September 20th. 7th, 8th, 
one of those two days. But guess what? Tickets are up for sale on Thursday. And Strange Loop tickets sell out in like a day. So get on it. Oh, by the time I release this podcast, though, it's going to be passed. So I hope you got a ticket. <laughs> Good luck. If you didn't, then we'll see you next year. <laughs> I think that's probably the best end of show I've got. Do you, you want to say goodbye, Hardy? Goodbye, Hardy. <laughs> goodbye, Hardy. Goodbye, right. Murphy. Thanks, Murph. You're welcome.